You know, one of the reasons that we celebrate, and uh, if that's new or if that's new, uh, foreign to you when we take an offering, uh, you need to know that we celebrate because we believe that generosity is a really big deal to God. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but uh, generosity is mentioned uh, something like 2,285 times uh, in the Bible. And just for some perspective there, the word hope is uh, mentioned 185 times. Faith, 246 times. Love, 733 times. Again, for generosity, 2,285 times. See, God wants us, he wants his people, he wants his church to be generous, and he loves when we're cheerful about it. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so that's why we celebrate uh, whenever we take an offering, whenever we give back to the Lord here. And um, I want to take a moment uh, just at the start of this time with you today to thank you. Uh, thank you, church, uh, for your ongoing generosity uh, to the Lord and through Genesis. And uh, whether you're someone that gives here on Sunday mornings with us or maybe you give online, um, I just want to thank you for your gifts. And I want to thank you for your faith and I want to thank you for your sacrifices because you've been so faithful. And I want you to know that you have been helping people find their way back to God uh, through your gifts. And we know and we believe that generosity is a big part of the harvest. All right, it's a big part of that work that we are called to as followers of Christ. And that's why I want to spend a little time with you as we finish up this series today uh, talking about generosity and uh, the importance of it here for our church. And so uh, if you are new with us today, we've been in a series the past couple of weeks uh, called The Harvest. What's The Harvest? Well, it's, uh, what the, it's the harvest that Jesus spoke about in places like John chapter 4, verse 35, when he says, I tell you, open your eyes, he said to his disciples. All right, he says to you and me, he says, look at the fields, they're ripe, they're ready for harvest. Now, we know when Jesus says harvest here, he's thinking about the process of bringing new people, uh, new believers into his kingdom, or as we as a church like to call it, helping people find their way back to God. And uh, again, in case you are new with us, uh, that's always been our mission as a church, helping people find their way back to God. It's the, the conviction really behind everything we do. And as we think about our future and as we think about where we go from here, we've got the harvest that Jesus has called us to the one that he's preparing for you and me, that's what we have in mind. And we know and we realize that it's going to take every person, uh, every person here. I mean, if helping people find their way back to God is indeed going to be our mission as a church, it has to be your mission, all right? It has to be my mission. We have to make it a very personal mission. And so week one in this series, we talked about that mission and we identified a word uh, used by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It was Paul uh, that reminds us that we are ambassadors in this world, that we're ambassadors uh, for Jesus, all right, because this world isn't our home. We're here on earth temporarily uh, to represent Jesus to others. And so that just means that every conversation you have, uh, every relationship that you're investing in is an opportunity to remind someone that they matter to God and that Jesus died for them, and that they can find their way back to God. And then last week, we looked at a second word. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commanded his people, all right, his followers, for you and me today, that we were to go and to be witnesses in this world. Now, a witness is just simply someone who testifies to what they've uh, seen and what they've experienced. And Jesus' challenge was for them uh, to go into the world, to go into Jerusalem, uh, to go into the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth to be these witnesses. And so we had the chance to talk about some of our outreach partners uh, here 
here as the church, those uh, partners locally, those partners around the world. We have the chance to talk about church planting, some of the things that we see God doing, that we're just listening and waiting and willing to respond to. And the challenge was for you and me to identify a field to serve in. And whether that be your neighborhood or, again, whether that be your college campus, uh, your high school, your middle school, uh, where you work, or even with one of these outreach partners, the challenge was for every person to begin praying and investing or continue investing uh, in a field. And again, part of what we wanted to accomplish in this series was to provide for you a picture of where we see the Lord leading us right now. And just our willingness, our desire to be obedient, saying, Lord, we are waiting for you. We desire to follow you in each of these things. And uh, so as we wrap up this series today, I want to take just a little time, again, to remind you of how important your financial giving uh, and your generosity is for our church and for our mission and for the work that we've been called to in the harvest. And I want to get you thinking about a couple of things right up top. The first is this, the possibilities that could come from every person, every person at Genesis growing in this area of generosity. And not just what it means for our church, all right, and not just what it means for our ministry. I mean, this, this isn't a message about how the church gets more of your money, but rather what it means for your faith and what it could mean for your heart and just your willingness to say, you know what, I want to serve Jesus uh, in this world and I want to do it with every bit of who I am and with nothing getting in the way of just that. And so I'd like to look at a few verses with you today. If you've got your Bibles uh, and you want to turn in the New Testament to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, I want to look at a few verses there beginning in verse 17. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, you'll find it on page 831. But 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 17. And once again, the Apostle Paul is writing here. We, we come to his name over and over again. Uh, and one of Paul's disciples or apprentices was a young missionary uh, by the name of Timothy. And, and Timothy was given uh, the responsibility. Uh, he provided leadership, uh, missionary responsibility really, uh, over churches and in particular in a place uh, called Ephesus. And with this letter here, 1 Timothy, uh, what Paul what Paul's doing is he's passing on what he learned from Jesus. He's passing these things on to Timothy. And while he's got Timothy in mind and while he's got the Christians that Timothy is ministering to in Ephesus in mind, we know for certain that these words are not only for just them, but these are words for us as well for Genesis 2. And so Paul uh, opens with these words to Timothy and for all of us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, when he says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now stop there for just a second. Ephesus was a port city uh, on the Mediterranean and really an epicenter for both trade and wealth. Uh, it's likely that the people in this particular church were some of the wealthier people uh, really in all of the regions uh, of this world. They were in a far better financial position uh, than most other people around them. And so compared to the rest of the world, you know, as we see in Paul's words here, they were rich, just like us, right? I mean... I mean, whether you, you choose to agree with that or not, and uh, we all know that we have our case, I mean, because some of us might want to push back, I want you to consider this for just a moment. If you make $37,000 today, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world. Uh, that means you make more money than 96% of the people on this planet. Uh, or get this, if you make $45,000, even just uh, $8,000 more, you're in the top 1% of people 
in the entire world right now. There was an article uh, published a little while back about Bill Gates and a visit uh, that he did in India. And while there, he had an opportunity to interact with a woman in a very poor village uh, in India. And after Bill Gates walked away, there was a reporter that walked up to this particular woman and said to her, do you, do you have any idea who you just had a conversation with? I mean, do you, do, you, do you realize that you just had a conversation with one of the richest men in the world? And uh, her response, uh, a little unfazed in that moment, was, yeah, I know he's from the West. Everyone who visits from the West is rich. And so from her perspective, again, anyone from the West is rich, which means that if you would have been the person that she interacted with in that given moment, well, her perspective of you is that she would have put you in the very same category as someone like even Bill Gates. See, compared to the rest of the world, we're rich. We are very rich, and we've been blessed in so many different ways. And that just means for you that if you've ever grown tired of your kitchen and remodeled it, you're rich compared to the rest of the world. If you've ever dropped an old unwanted couch off at Goodwill because you bought a new one, you're rich. Uh, if, you've ever, if you've got leftovers in your fridge right now, contemplating eating those for lunch or not, you're rich. If you have a bedroom that your car sleeps in at nighttime so that it doesn't get rained on, uh, you're rich. If, even if your car has to sleep outside at night because your garage is full of so many other things, the fact is, the reality is that you're rich. We are very rich, and it isn't a bad thing. I don't want you to hear me wrong here. I mean, money's not a bad thing in and of itself, but with wealth comes great responsibility. All right? With this wealth comes great responsibility. And because we're trying, because we're making an effort to live with an eternal perspective, with things like the harvest in mind, all right, we need to be receptive to both the responsibility and the opportunity that we see before us right now in this world. And so Paul continues, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And so Paul has a warning here. He's got really two warnings. And the first is that he says, I, I don't want you to find your significance in money. You know, be careful of finding significance and purpose in money. You're, he's saying your worth as a person has nothing to do with the house that you live in, the neighborhood that you live in, the car that you drive, the, the bottom line of your finances. You're not going to find your significance in these things. And then he also says, I don't want you to put your security in money. See, here's the thing for us. Anytime we go searching for things like significance and security in anything other than God, what we're doing is we're worshiping a false, a false God. Uh, what, what money becomes for us so often is it becomes like a false idol, and a, a false idol is just simply anything that we go looking to to do for us what only God can do and what he wants to do. And so we're great at doing this with money, right? And I've been guilty of this in my life. I mean, think about how quickly we go looking to money to provide things for us like significance. Uh, think about how quickly we go looking to money to solve all of our problems or how quickly money influences our emotions or our feelings about so many different things. And how it impacts our security. And Jesus knew this. And it's why he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Uh, he says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. And then he continued later on, just a few verses later, by really showing us, explaining to us how he wants us to live. He says, but here's what I want you to do. All right, I don't want you to live for kingdom and for wealth and for those things, or uh, for, for a kingdom of wealth and stuff. He says, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so Jesus wants us to have an eternal perspective 
when it comes to things like wealth and money. And Paul knew that. And his life had been shaped like that. And so he's passing it on to Timothy and to us as well. And so he warns about the dangers of arrogance and false security and instead encourages us to look back to the verse one more time. He said, but to put your hope in God. He says, I don't want you to put your hope and faith in something like money, but instead to put your faith in God, who, get this, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, he's after your heart. Okay, don't miss that today. And even if if you hate the topic of money in church, I, I want you to see and understand that he's after my heart. He's after all of your heart. He doesn't want your faith all right, to be focused on something like money, but on him. And he knows that the way to greater faith oftentimes is through our bank accounts and being able to trust him even with that. And, and what does it mean to trust him? What does it mean to trust him and honor him with something like your finances? Well, it means, it means it's understanding that he is a God who richly provides, that he richly provides. He provides what? Everything, everything for our enjoyment. Psalm 24, one says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so as Christians, we must acknowledge that everything comes from him. It all belongs to him. And if it all belongs to him, and again, if it all comes from him, should it be any surprise then that he has some plans, that he has some expectations for us when it comes to how we view and handle things like our money? Look at verse 18. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so the general goal here is to do good, Paul says, he says, to to be rich in good deeds. And this is a type of giving that goes well beyond just simply our financial gifts. All right, this this has everything to do with how you use your time and how you use your talents here on this earth. And then he says, to be generous and willing to share. And that's our word for today, the word generosity here. And I, I don't want you to make any mistake about it. When Paul uses the word generosity, he's talking about he's talking about money. He's talking about our finances, and he's talking about how we view and how we manage the money we've been given. See, here's the thing. God has blessed every single one of us, every single one of you today, with some level of financial resources. And for some greater than others, and others maybe less, but no matter how much or how little, He's entrusted you with at this time and in this point in your life. His command is to do good and to be uh, generous with what we've been given. Now, why money? Like, why in the world does something like money matter to God? And, and, and why, why, why even necessary to take some time in a service like this to, to even talk about it? Well, a couple of things first. We know that money uh, is a tool. Uh, now, when I say tool, I don't mean in the same way that your best friend's new boyfriend is a tool, all right? So, a uh, little, little different here. But, but money's a tool that God provides, all right? It's a resource that he provides. And as he provides for you and for me, there's an expectation that you're going to put a portion of those financial resources back to work for good work. And it's true. Part of what God provides for us is for our provision, all right? He is a God who richly provides for all of our needs. And so that means that at the very same time that there should be no shame in your life to use money for some things that you enjoy, all right? And there are many things that we enjoy and for fun and for entertainment as long as we're making an effort at the very same time to recognize where it comes from and to honor him with it at the same time. See, God's dream for you and for me and for our church is that we will give it generously 
generously to support the work of the harvest in this world. And when you're willing to do that, when you're willing to start giving these things, man, I just got you, you just need to know it can be incredibly effective and powerful and life changing because God uses, you know, this money that we've been given to accomplish some great things. And that's certainly true here at Genesis. I mean, it is so true here at Genesis. Man, what an incredible year we are coming off of uh, and a new year before us. I mean, just so you know, there's no secret pool of money sitting around, all right, that we draw from to lease these facilities, to to pay staff, to, to give money away from ministry partners. It comes from you. All right, it comes from your gifts, all right, every single week and every single month. And because of your investment and because of your giving here at Genesis this past year, many people have been baptized. Uh, Many children and students and men and women are growing right now in their faith uh, in the Lord. We've been able to go over and above and helping people right here in our own church and community, people that are going through some really difficult and strenuous times right now because of your gifts and because of your sacrifices. Because of your gifts, we've we've been able to help support brand new churches that are just getting started in their efforts uh, in the harvest. And we've been able to give and support, as we talked about last week, to many ministry partners around India and here in the state and in in this country and all around the world, even as far as Myanmar, and none of those gifts would have been given if you weren't willing to take a step of faith and to sacrifice and to give generously. And it doesn't matter the amount that you gave because every gift matters to God. And so one of the goals of this series is just so that you know that your generosity as acts of obedience and thanksgiving are advancing the mission of this church. And so thank you again, every single one of you, Uh, Genesis, because of your gifts, people are finding their way back to God. And so we know and we believe that money's a tool through which God accomplishes his great work, but also get this, money's a test. And it's a personal test uh, for every single one of us. Whatever money we have, however much money or little you have, it's a test. And it's really a test to see what we think about God and how we view these things in light of God. And it's not so much a pass or fail test. Maybe think of it more like an essay test. Uh, Because as an essay test, it really tells a story. How you use it, the way that you manage it, tells a story of your faith and what you think of God and what he's doing in your life. And by the way, it's not just a test for us. I mean, did you know that giving really, uh, it's the only area that I know of where God is put to the test as well. Malachi said it like this in Malachi 3 verse 10. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And so God says, hey, test me in this. You want to put this generosity thing to practice? Test me in this and see if I won't bless you. Now, he doesn't say how he will bless us, all right? But he promises that he will. And I don't have time to tell you all my stories today. And I know there are many of you around this room today that probably have some wonderful stories of how the Lord has blessed you through your faithfulness and through your giving to a place like Genesis Church. See, our God is faithful, and he is always good on his promises. And so uh, here's my invitation to you today. Uh, I want to invite you to consider, to prayerfully consider, taking a step of obedience when it comes to this area of generosity, a greater step of obedience and investment in the harvest and the mission of our church. And I'd love to see everyone get involved in this. I'd love everyone to prayerfully consider how the Lord might be leading you and uh, to see everyone take a step with us in 2017. Why? Well, again, I promise you that it's not just about the church getting more of your money. 
I mean, I love the thought of being able to do more and to give more away as a church. But more than that, I love the potential, the thought of what could happen in my life and in your life as we continue trusting the Lord, as we put our faith in him, as we seek to be obedient to him. And I'm excited about what God might want to do in your life over this next year and with your faith as you take a step towards God that says, God, you can have every part of me. You can have every part of my life and my home and my being, even my wealth, Lord. All of it belongs to you, and I want to serve you with it. And so I want to take just a few minutes with you uh, today just to kind of show you what this might look like. This is a, a conversation we really have every single year. We talk about these different steps, and I'll tell you right now that we're not ashamed uh, to do it. And, uh, but these are just simply three steps uh, to obedient uh, generosity in your life and really for all of us and for our church uh, no matter where you are today. And the first step is this. I, w- I want to challenge some of you today to become what we call a priority giver. All right, a priority giver if you're taking notes. And, and that just simply means that if you're not giving now or not giving anything on a regular basis, this is a step that I'd like to see you take where you start giving something uh, every month or every time you get paid. Now, make no mistake. I will tell you that to go from giving nothing uh, to giving something can be a very great step. Uh, a big step for some people. But when you do it, what you're saying is that you're ready for God to do even more in your life, all right? That you are opening yourself up to him. And I know this is where some of you are right now. And for some of you right now, you, 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 can't, you can't even believe that you're considering taking such a step in your life and with your home. But the fact is that you're learning to trust God. And you're really asking questions about obedience. And I'll just let you know that when you give to something like Genesis Church, what you're doing is you're loosening your grip on a value system that says it's all mine and all for my pleasure and for my security. And instead, you're beginning to demonstrate that your faith is in the Lord. And so here's the challenge for you. Uh, The best way to become a priority giver is to choose an amount uh, every single month, all right, and to give it and to make giving it a habit. And that means just simply that when you get a paycheck, uh, you make it your practice, you make it your habit and your discipline to give a gift uh, first. And one thing that we see in Scripture is that God blesses what are called the first fruits. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to talk about this today, it's, it, but basically it's the first gift that we make. God was encouraging, he was commanding his people to make it the first give and, uh, gift. And so that means that you don't give your, to your mortgage first. All right, because Bank of America is not going to bless you, all right, for your gift back to them. But God promises to do that. There's a promise attached with our first gift. And so we make our first gift to God, all right, and then the practices that we learn to live off the rest. And not only do I challenge you to, to, to give first, but I would like you to consider making your goal to give it consistently, all right, every single month, and uh, do whatever you need to do in order to make it a habit in, in your home. And I'll say it again, for some of you, this will be hard, all right? These are, these are big steps, and you'll be tempted to give in along the way, and that's why you have to stick with it and why it's important to, to be consistent. And so to give first, all right, to give consistently, the last thing that I'd say about it is to give in a measurable way. All right, give in a way that you can account for. And that's why we offer you a couple of ways to give here at Genesis. One of those is to give online uh, through our website or through our app. 
uh, in my home, and like so many of you, that's the way that we give, and it's secure, and it's something that you can check out today, even through our website, but you can also write a check, or you can give cash. We have envelopes around the auditorium in the seats, and by doing that, you can put your gift in there and make sure your name goes on that uh, envelope, and uh, we encourage you to give in a measurable way so that we can provide for you uh, a giving report several times a year, and what this does uh, uh, is it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, first, your gift is uh, a tax deduction deductible, all right, and so that's a benefit uh, to you, but second, I think it's great to be able to see what you've given, all right, and so even later on this year, to be able to look back and see how you've grown and how the Lord has provided for you as you're trusting God in these areas. So here's what it comes down to. As we kick off 2017, I'd like to challenge you that if you're not already giving regularly, uh, would you consider, would you prayerfully consider becoming a priority giver at Genesis? And for those of you that started last year at this time and continued in it, way to go. And man, I pray and I hope that you're seeing some great things in your life, that God is really growing your faith and blessing you. And if you made a commitment to get started in it last year and fell off the wagon, no shame, all right? But would you prayerfully consider getting back on board and putting it to practice again? Here's my hope. I I pray that we will be able to continue moving in this uh, direction of generosity together. And as you give in a special way, I want you to know the joy of contributing to God's work through Genesis and being able to say, you know, I'm, I'm playing a big part and helping people find their way back to God. So again, a challenge for everyone. Here's another challenge for those of you that have been giving something uh, on a regular basis. Number two is to become a percentage giver. All right, we call it a percentage giver. And a percentage giver is someone who moves beyond uh, simply giving something to someone who really practices the tithe. All right, now if you don't uh, understand what that word tithe means, the word tithe is simply a mathematical term. Uh, It means a tenth. All right, or 10%. It's the act of giving 10% of your financial resources back to God through the church. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe was viewed as a bare minimum for giving to eternal things. We see this in Leviticus chapter 27, uh, verse 30, where we read, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So you can see even right here how the understanding was that the tenth didn't even belong to you. All right, it belongs to God. And this was true of Abraham all the way through the Old Testament. Now, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, right? All right, it's true that everything changed when Jesus came along, but so often when Jesus talked about things like the Old Testament law, he didn't lower the bar, but what he actually did is he raised the bar uh, to even greater things. For instance, in the Old Testament, it says, do not murder. But when Jesus came along, he said, hey, even if you hate your brother, it's as bad as murder. Uh, it was Jesus that said, you know, or the Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, hey, if, you've, if you lust, it's like you've committed adultery in your heart. And then Jesus affirmed the tithe too in Matthew 23, 23. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth, all right, you give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now notice what he says here. He says, you should have practiced the latter, all right, without neglecting the former. And so Jesus uh, criticized these men for neglecting things like justice and mercy and faithfulness, and yet he validated the tithe for them saying, hey, keep tithing, all right, but don't forget about these other important things too. I want you to give with the right attitude and with the right heart. And so what I believe is I believe that Jesus opened the door for even greater giving, all right, and he wants us to do it with the right heart. And I mean, check it out for yourself. 
Uh, study it for yourself. Every New Testament example of giving and generosity goes well beyond the tithe. And so while the tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving and generosity, it's certainly not the finish line. In many ways, the tithe is more of a, well, it's more like the starting blocks for what God wants to do in and through your heart in this area of giving. I want, you, I, I want to know, would you, would you be up for that challenge? Would you prayerfully consider these next steps? Some of you are ready to take the challenge as a percentage giver and to give 10% of your income back to God, to the Lord, through Genesis Church. I, I just want to quickly tell you my story. Uh, you know, in these past eight and a half years of serving at Genesis, uh, my wife and I, our family, we've seen the Lord do some incredible things uh, in our home. And uh, as we get ready to kick off another Financial Peace University class tonight, which my wife and I are excited to be uh, co-leading once again, there are so many things that I can look to with financial peace and say, you know what? It was because we got really intentional with our finances and the way we viewed uh, those resources that we've been given, that we've been able to do so many great things now and eliminate all of the debt in our life. But do you know what I consider to be an even more important step than that? It was way back in 2000 when we were just getting started in full-time ministry, and we went from giving really nothing to tithing. And, man, we just had to do it. We just had to take that step one day. I had just been hired by a church, and, well, I knew that if I were going to preach on things like tithing, I probably needed to do it. And uh, so we started tithing back in 2000, and I'll tell you, it was hard. It was really hard to get into that practice and to really make that a discipline and to give first and to wonder, is it all going to work out at the end of the month? And to look at it at times and thinking, wow, with the very little that we have, we're giving a lot of it away. I am so thankful that 17 years ago, my wife and I together made that step and started tithing and giving. And I will tell you that over the last 17 years, we have zero regrets and over the past eight years especially, we've grown in tithing and increased our giving every single year and continue to do so. And I don't tell you that so that you'll think more of me. I just tell you that to say that I wouldn't ask you to do anything that we're not growing in and enjoying and seeing and appreciating as well. And not only does God continue to bless our family and provide for us in abundance, but man, we love and know the joy of giving to eternal harvest sort of things in this world. And it's a, great, it's a great place to be. And I know that many of you are enjoying that and experiencing that as well in your life. And if not, I'd love for you to see and know and experience uh, and enjoy uh, such things. And so uh, maybe you're already tithing. And uh, if you are, there's a challenge for you too. It's the last one, and that's just a challenge to move beyond, uh, to become a progressive giver. And a progressive giver is just someone who gives beyond 10%. Uh, it's someone that realizes that generosity is not limited to 10%, but that it's about viewing all of your possessions, even 100% of them, as being available to the harvest. And uh, you might think I'm messing with you, all right? It's true. There are people like this. Uh, you're sitting around people right now in this room that are like just this. We have people like this at Genesis, and they're fascinating. They're fascinating people. They've got the best stories, all right? They've got the greatest outlook on life and in their faith and their generosity. It's just so encouraging, and they love the challenge of giving. 
And some of you today are ready to make this move and take this next step in generosity as a progressive giver. You're ready to move beyond tithing onto greater things. And if that's you, let me challenge you uh, to pray, to prayerfully consider what might be a next step that you'd be willing to take if you haven't already taken it here in 2017. One of those might be to increase your giving uh, to Genesis. Uh, maybe even say, you know what, we're going to increase our giving by a percentage point this year over last year. Or even this, uh, start giving or increase your giving beyond Genesis. Man, I, I love to see people from our church that are giving to the ministries, even the ministries that we support here as a church, all right, to go over and above in your giving. And it doesn't have to be just those ministries. Maybe you've got some, some areas of ministry that you're really passionate about, other ministries that are also helping people find their way back to God. These are great ways to grow uh, and to increase in your giving. And again, like I said, in addition to our giving here at Genesis, Jenny and I have enjoyed doing this. And uh, many of the people that we give to beyond uh, just what we give here regularly, we tithe as, uh, to Genesis and above, but to give to ministry partners and to send these gifts to them. And we feel even closer to their work uh, as we give directly to their monthly needs. Here's the thing. What, what could happen if every person here got involved and just said, you know, Lord, I want to grow in this area of generosity to be obedient and for the sake of your harvest. Man, what could happen in your faith? What could happen in your faith to see the Lord provide uh, each month? What, 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 what other church plants, man, might the Lord have in mind for us to give to, even in 2017? What, what, what are some of those prayers that our ministry partners are praying for right now, real needs that they have that maybe God wants to use you or he wants to use Genesis to help meet some of those needs and some of those dreams that people are praying about? What, what campuses might God want to start through our church or through others? What other ministries would he like to fund here in central Indiana? And again, to say I'm being obedient to what the Lord has commanded me to and to see and experience God's blessings through it. Genesis, I, I can't thank you enough for your generosity over the past year. Again, because of your giving, the good news of Jesus is being shared all around this world, and people are coming to Christ, and you're doing a great work in the harvest. But I got to tell you, there's more to do. Our work is not completed until Jesus returns, and until then, we must continue faithfully following the Lord. We've got to keep looking for ways to live our lives as obedient followers of Christ on this earth. And an obedient life is the only life worth living. Look at this verse one more time. Paul wraps up here, 1 Timothy six nineteen. He says, hey, as you do these things, all right, in this way, you will lay up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And then this, so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's talking about obedience here. And he is saying that obedience leads to a life that is most satisfying, it's a life that's most rewarding, and it's a life that helps bring in the harvest. We've been sharing some stories with you each of the past couple of weeks, people from Genesis who are doing their part in the harvest. One more to share with you this week about a family that's not only generous in their giving, but with everything they have. Check this out. intentionally decided to invest in our neighbors um, just as we would read scripture or um, listen to God's spirit and his promptings God would ask us to do something it might be something big or something that seemed big to us and out of our comfort zone or it might be something really small 
and all we did was say yes and in doing that we've really been able to see God at work for example at the pool one day I met a girl she had just moved into the neighborhood and we talked and had a great conversation and before she left I felt God nudge me like get her phone number <laughs> I'm like okay okay I will and so I asked for her phone number and put it in my phone and then as soon as I got home the Lord's like okay now invite her over to your house which I'm not in the habit of doing but I did it and it was great and now we meet on a regular basis um, through something called if table she's come to the women's group she's encouraged me I've encouraged her and it's just been a great friendship I think what's very motivating for me is that so many others had already invested in me the people from our church that we saw them being neighborly gave us the motivation, inspired us to want to be able to do that with all the people around us, all the people that we prayed that God would uh, put before us. So we started praying, and Courtney and I knew that all this time that we had been spending with them, you know, out in the cul-de-sac or um, at their homes, that God was pressing on us in a loving way to start inviting them more into our lives. One thing that I've really learned is that um, God just wants us to share what we've been given. And Ben gave a great message about that. You know, Daniel has tools. So that's something that he can give, something he can offer. I have a home. It's not a big home, but it's something that I can open, something I can offer to people and I have a little bit of extra time. Um, it's amazing what God can do with a simple yes, because he's the one with the big picture. He sees the person hurting, he sees their need, and he loves them. And so when he asks something of us, whether we're at a grocery store or in our neighborhood or at work, wherever it might be, when we feel that prompting, I'm learning that it has such greater impact that when we can say yes to that, whether it's big or little, that there's purpose in it. And when um, we can walk through it, even when it's not in our comfort zone, that's where we can see his glory and we can see him move and we can see his power. And then our faith is strengthened for that next thing, whatever it might be. A simple yes, right? And what do you need to say yes to today? What's the Lord prompting you to do? You know, God is doing some amazing things uh, through so many of you right now. Wants to do even more. And over the next year, we want to make it our goal to get as many people as possible out doing the work, helping people find their way back to God. We want to help you find and identify your harvest field. Uh, we want to encourage you as you're investing and praying for others, people that God's putting in your life. And at the very same time, I hope you'll see and realize the possibilities of every person giving generously to churches and ministries like Genesis. And not only means what it means for their work, for our work, but also what it means for your heart, for your faith, and the way that you trust the Lord. And why do we do it? Well, going all the way back to week one, it's like what we saw in the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when Man, if you could just sense the enthusiasm of him not being able to get over the reality of what God had accomplished for him in Jesus, that God would take his sin and put it on Jesus and give Jesus, uh, Jesus' righteousness to Paul and to so many of us, to all of us. It's available to you today in return as we trust the Lord 
as we celebrate the Lord? How does that not change the trajectory of your life? We're going to celebrate that now. Will you stand with us this morning? You know, let's, we want to lift up the name of Jesus this morning. And let's be reminded that he gave his life. And we can give ours in return as well. Let's sing this together.